F-O-1. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have been selected and sworn as the jury to try the case of the state of Florida versus Casey Marie Anthony. It's May 24th, 2011 in Orlando, Florida. It's been almost three years since the death of Casey Anthony's daughter, Kaylee, and the 25-year-old is now on trial and facing seven charges, first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, as well as four counts of providing false information to law enforcement. will be explained to you later. It is your solemn responsibility to determine if the state has proved its accusations beyond a reasonable doubt against a defendant. Between 2008 and 2011, investigators have accumulated over 400 pieces of evidence against Casey. In a 2008 article from the Seattle Times, Orange County Sheriff Kevin Beery says about the evidence, quote, Speaking as a father, a day doesn't pass where I wish the evidence that we have gathered didn't add up to the painfully obvious, but sadly, I cannot change the facts surrounding the investigation. And now, anxious citizens across the country are on the edge of their seats waiting for justice to be served. And they do not overlap. This is one of the fundamental principles of our system of justice. Before proceeding further, it would be helpful if you understand how a trial is conducted. At the beginning of the trial, attorneys will have an opportunity if they wish to make it. Casey Anthony's future now lies squarely on the shoulders of 12 Orange County jurors. And at the conclusion of this trial, these 12 Floridians will be faced with one of the most crucial questions of our lifetime. Did Casey Anthony murder her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee? However, before we even got to this point, the three-year span of 2008 to 2010 took this case from a powerful local headline to a nationwide hot-button issue. And this rise in popularity would put Casey's lies and misleading statements under the ultimate microscope. From F01 Media, I'm Brett Esch, and this is Casey. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. October 14, 2008, Casey Anthony was indicted by a grand jury on the count of first-degree murder. However, her trial wouldn't begin until the summer of 2011, almost three years later. Those three years produced the key components that made this case as notable as it was. Neglect, scandal, lies, and manipulation. In addition, investigators were able to use that time to draw two crucial conclusions heading into the trial. What was Casey's motive to kill her daughter, and what were the pieces of evidence to back that motive? Regardless of spectators' personal opinion on Casey's guilt or innocence, 
It is safe to say that most were in agreement that those three years, from 2008 to 2010, was just as important to this case as the trial itself. This is episode two, Head Held High. The summer of 2008 was an interesting one for Casey Anthony, to put it mildly. During that time, she did all she could do to avoid suspicion from investigators. The Summer of Lies, as it would later become known as, officially began in early June, when Kaylee went missing and her mother stayed silent. It's July 16, 2008, the day after Cindy Anthony reported Kaylee missing. Casey is preparing for her first round of questioning, which will take place at Cindy and George's home on Hope Springs Drive. Orange County Detective Yuri Mellish begins by asking Casey about her relationship with Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez, the babysitter who Casey claims to have taken Kaylee. And who was this babysitter? Her name is Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez. Do you know how to spell the first name? Z-E-N-A-I-D-A. And where was Zenaida's? Where did you drop Zenaida, uh, the, your child off? The Sawgrass Apartments on Conway, Michigan. Do you remember the address? I don't remember the address. Do you remember an apartment number? 210. Okay. It's on the second floor. If you were to pull into the Sawgrass Apartments, would the building be the one closest to the road, furthest back, halfway? As soon as you go straight, you go over one speed bump, and it's the first one on the right-hand side. Okay, is there a pool next to it, or is there anything about the apartment that stands out? There's a welcome sign. It's, um, I guess there's a little shed close to the building, maybe about 10 yards away. Okay. How long had you known Zenaida? Almost four years. It'll be four years Christmas this year. The next few minutes is more of the same. Casey continues to claim that Gonzalez took her child and left without a word. But then, Mellish presses Casey about her delay to report Kaylee missing. What's the reason, uh, I asked you this before and I'll ask you just for the record, what's the reason you didn't call the police before? Since right now we're, we're here because your grandparents, or your, your parents, asked you about the child and they were concerned, didn't get an answer as to where the child was, they called the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you call prior to today? I think part of me was naive enough to think that I could handle this myself, which obviously I, I couldn't. And I was scared that something would happen to her if I did notify the authorities or got the media involved or my parents, which I know would have done the same thing. Just fear of the unknown, fear of the potential of Kaylee getting hurt, of not seeing my daughter again. He then asks Casey to confirm that everything she is saying is true, which she does without hesitation. Is there anything about this story that you're telling me that is untrue? Or is there anything that you want to change or divert from what you've already told me? No, sir. Following the first round of questions, which lasted a mere 20 minutes, Mellish and his team go to where Casey claims to have last seen Kaylee, Gonzalez's apartment. Upon arrival, the detectives get the sense that the apartment hasn't been occupied for quite some time, and they're right. The apartment has been vacant for over 140 days. Next, they take Casey with them on a trip to where she states is her place of employment, Universal Studios. But when Mellish questions the supervisors about this, they inform him that she hasn't worked there in two years. Mellish is furious, and he isn't even able to wait until they're back at the police station to question Casey once more. Instead, he finds an empty room in the building and sits her down for another line of questioning, 
this time with a less friendlier tone. We just closed it so we could have a little bit of privacy and talk to you. And uh, a couple more questions came up I'm going to need to ask you about. Uh, remember our, our, how I opened this whole thing in the morning yeah. by saying that you know we need to get the complete truth and, and the snowball effect and, and, uh, and how it goes? Okay. Uh, we're about halfway down that hill, three quarters down that hill, and it's a pretty big snowball, which means that there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you uh, just for a certainty that everything you've told me so far has been a lie. I, I can tell you that with, a, with a certainty, and, and let me explain why. Since I left you this morning, mm -hmm. I've gone to every address that you've told me. I've looked up every name, I've talked to every person that you, you, you wanted me to talk to or tried to. Mm -hmm. uh, I've reached out, I've talked to your ex-boyfriend, I've talked to Amy, uh, I've talked to Tony. Mellish is referring to Amy Huizenga, Casey's best friend, and Tony Lazaro, her boyfriend at the time. The second interview lasts over an hour, and throughout the entire conversation, Casey defends her original stance. Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez stole Kaylee, and Casey was scared to inform the police in fear of Kaylee's safety. She attempts to portray herself as a hopeless mother who is just as clueless as they are. This doesn't sit well with one of Mellish's fellow detectives. Your daughter yesterday on the phone, uh, having no idea where she's at and having, seen, and having not seen her for five weeks, and you didn't call anybody. Did you just think that one day she's just going to show up at your house? No, I sat around yesterday trying to figure out what to do. I'm glad that I ended up seeing my mom, that all of that stuff happened. Happened for a reason because you're glad you year. saw your mom. Let me ask you this You could have saw your mom five weeks ago and said mom. I don't know where you could have called your mom five weeks ago What has happened? I saw my mom's reaction right off the bat and it would have been the same from the get-go Well, well, so you're more afraid. So wait a minute. So You're more afraid of your mom's reaction than you are if you ever see your daughter again. No, I'm absolutely petrified absolutely petrified. I know my mom will never forgive me. I'm never going to forgive myself because there's that chance that I might not see Kaylee again. And I don't want to think about well, that. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you, how, by lying to us and, and sending us all these goose, uh, these wild goose chases, hold on a minute, okay? I want you to tell me, okay, this is a, uh, um, I mean, is it, is it that there's some other thing more important in your life right now that no. maybe that, you know, maybe you just weren't kind of, you just weren't really focused on uh, what you were saying when you told us, so yeah, kind of just accidentally told us you had an office here and we needed to be here because we might find something that would help or did you, did you lie to us purposely or did you purposely mislead us? Which, which of those two is it? At the conclusion of the interview, Mellis has Casey raise her right hand and swear she is telling the truth. But what Mellish has already figured out, and what many will soon find out, is that nobody is really sure what Casey's word is really worth. Following the second line of questions, Casey is arrested on counts of child neglect, making false statements, and obstructing an investigation. And now, it's up to the Orange County detectives to find the evidence that will soon bring justice for Kaylee Anthony. It's July 17, 2008, the day after Casey's arrest. And Orange County Sheriff's Deputy Jason Forgey is in the driveway of the Anthony residence. He's here today to investigate Casey's white Pontiac Sunfire with a police dog that is trained to detect human remains. This Pontiac Sunfire is the same vehicle that was picked up by George and Cindy Anthony at the impound, the one Cindy was referring to when she told the dispatcher on her 911 call that it, quote, 
smell like there's a dead body in the damn car. And now, Forgy wants to put Cindy's claim to the test. And sure enough, on the first pass around the car, the dog begins indicating toward the rear of the vehicle. Forgy can tell he's picking up a scent. As the dog makes its way to the trunk, he begins indicating to Forgy that he wants it opened. Forgy obliges, and when the trunk is open, the dog puts his front paws inside and lays down, signaling to Forgy that he has detected human remains in the trunk of the car. Later in the search, the dog also alerts Forgy of human remains in the backyard, but this was later disregarded as he didn't alert Forgy to the same place during the next trip to the residence. But Forgy has gotten exactly what he's looking for, a connection between Casey's vehicle and a dead body. It's four days later, July 22nd. Casey is in court alongside her recently hired defense attorney, Jose Baez, for her bond hearing. The two aren't expecting a lofty amount, knowing the relatively small amount of evidence the detectives have against Casey. But the detectives have different plans. And when called to present their evidence, they come at Casey with brand new information and at full force. Detective Yuri Mellish takes the stand. Your Honor, in our investigation, we found strands of hair that we believe are those of Kaylee Anthony's in the trunk of Miss Anthony's vehicle. Casey gives Baez a quick glance, who is just as blindsided as she is. But Mellish isn't done. Our canine unit also detected traces of human remains in the trunk as well. In addition, upon talking to a neighbor of the Anthony residence, Casey Anthony borrowed a shovel from the neighbor and had her car backed up to the garage, and she also informed the neighbor that some dirt found in the trunk of her car needed to be processed. The courtroom falls silent as Mellish says his next words. Your Honor, I believe Kaylee Anthony is dead. The judge dismisses Mellish from the stand and makes his final judgment. The evidence presented by the state is overwhelming, and it is my judgment that Miss Anthony is indeed a flight risk. Bail is set at $500,000. For the first time in her life, Casey Anthony is behind bars. After the bond hearing, she is officially deemed a person of interest in her daughter's disappearance. Officials also add that they are treating the investigation as a potential homicide case. On August 5th, Casey is formally charged with child neglect. Twelve days later, on the 17th, she's bailed out of jail by Leonard Padilla, a California bail bondsman who claims to have been contacted by Casey. On her way out of the jail, per a report from NBC News in 2008, Casey told Baez, quote, I'm innocent. I'm going to walk out of this place with my head held high. Tony Padilla, Leonard's nephew, told ABC News in an interview in 2008 that he bailed Casey out believing he could persuade her to tell him what really happened to Kaylee. When asked whether or not he should have bailed her out, he said, quote, Hindsight being 2020, probably not. But on August 30th, Casey finds herself right back in jail, this time on petty theft and check fraud charges. 
Her bail is set at $3,000, in addition to the original $500,000 bail being rescinded. And with the evidence mounting against her, and the public growing increasingly aware of her situation, she knows that it's going to take a miracle to save her from the inevitable, being charged with murder. Casey Anthony has spent the last three months developing an imaginary life built on a web of lies. From telling the police stories of spending time with Kaylee on a date in which she was already dead, to creating an unverified story about a man named Eric Baker being Kaylee's father and later dying in a car crash, Casey is showing that she is willing to go to any length to avoid responsibility. And while the summer of lies may be over, the chaos is just getting started. September 1st, 2008, the Orange County Sheriff's Office makes their position clear. They believe Kaylee Anthony is deceased. They state this determination is based on their own findings, as well as the FBI's. Four days later, Casey is released from jail. Her bail is posted by two bondsmen, with one of them saying in an ABC News article from 2008, quote, I believe Miss Anthony's constitutional rights have been violated, and declined to comment any further. Up to this point, Casey has consistently placed full responsibility on Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez for the disappearance, and now seemingly the murder, of her daughter. Later in September, though, on the 25th, Casey is hit with a defamation lawsuit from the babysitter she claimed to have been Kaylee's kidnapper. Casey would go on to win the case. Four days after that, on the 29th, Casey is returned to jail. And on October 2nd, she is officially announced as the prime suspect of the Kaylee Anthony murder investigation. Upon the announcement, Lieutenant Angelo Nieves of the Orange County Sheriff's Department told ABC News, quote, We still have a little girl who is missing, and we don't have any credible information about where she is or where she was last seen. To this date, her mother fails to provide us with any information that would help find her child. It's October 14th, 2008. Casey is appearing before a grand jury to find out whether or not she'll be charged with first-degree murder, among other charges. The courtroom is still and quiet. The main person to testify today on Casey's behalf is her father, George. Before entering the building, according to an article from ABC News, George told members of the media outside, quote, This is going to be a very hard thing to do. The focus has always been on my granddaughter, and it always will be. I love my daughter, I love my wife, and I love my son. If someone could take a moment at 11 o'clock this morning and 11 o'clock tonight and just pray for her, that's all I'm asking for. That's all I can say. What was actually said inside the courtroom is still not known to this day. After the seemingly emotional testimonies, Casey and Baez meet with the media outside. As Casey wipes tears from her tired eyes, Baez says, quote, We have a court system set up for this. I sincerely believe when we have finally spoken, everyone, and I mean everyone, will sit back and say, Oh, now I understand. That explains it. 
He goes on to say that they plan to fight the case to the end, implying that Casey will plead not guilty. Once back in the courtroom, onlookers are on the edge of their seat. Baez and Casey stand, with tears still running down the 22-year-old's face. The foreman of the jury reads the decision. The grand jurors of the County of Orange, duly called and paneled and sworn, upon their oaths do present that Casey Marie Anthony, between June 15th and 16th of 2008, did, in violation of Florida Statute 782.041A1, from a premeditated design to affect the death of Kaylee Marie Anthony. Casey's face goes flush. It wasn't a surprise, but she hadn't come to the reality yet. But now, she has no choice. She is going to be charged with first-degree murder. Ten days later, on October 24th, the police report that they have found traces of body decomposition and chloroform in the trunk of Casey's car. You see, chloroform is a drug used for severe relaxation, and in most cases, to the point of unconsciousness. It was also the drug that was administered to Kaylee on multiple occasions throughout her short life. Per reports, Casey would use the fast-acting drug to put Kaylee to sleep. The reason for this is unclear, but most signs point toward Casey's desire to go out early and partake in social events with her friends without having to take Kaylee with her or hire a babysitter. This, by most reports, is the most blatant example of Casey's neglect and carelessness for the safety of her daughter. Most importantly, this was a key factor in determining Casey's possible motive to kill Kaylee. She was a hard partier who didn't want to pay for a babysitter. It was easily concluded that it is very possible that she didn't want the burden of raising a child to hold her back, so to speak. Overall, it shows that Kaylee was arguably never Casey's first priority. It was, and has always been, her public image. It's 9.30 a.m. on December 11, 2008. Orange County meter reader Roy Cronk is completing his routine checkup down Suburban Drive. He's about half a mile away from the Anthony residence in a wooded back road area. He's on his way from one house to the next when he spots a medium-sized bag laying steps away from the side of the road. He walks slowly towards it before picking it up to inspect its contents. As he does, a large round object falls from the bottom of the bag. Now, Kronk's next action would be contested in court, but per his original statement, he picks up the object to identify it. As soon as he does, he immediately knows exactly what it is. Kronk has just stumbled upon a human skull. He places the bag and skull on the ground and makes a call to his supervisors, who then make a call to 911. County Utilities Emergency Dispatch, we found a human skull. Oh my gosh. I know. Uh, we got a, uh, is it a meter leader? Yes. I'm going to let you speak right now with the representative from our field services. This is Benny with Orange County Utilities. Hey, Benny. Hi. I'm going to let you speak with Rusty Spare, and uh, everything is recorded. Here he is. 
How are you doing? Hi, Rusty. Uh, one of my meter readers supposedly has found a uh, skull of a, that he believes is human. What's the location, please? It's right off of Suburban and Chickasaw in the Kelly Anthony area, right by the... Oh. Um, do you have a specific address for me or not? No, it's right by the school. If you take Does it, he's right You are. Yeah, he's in. Suburban and, and Goldenmont? Well, Suburban and Chickasaw. Chickasaw, I'm sorry. Yeah, and the school is right there. I can't think of the name of the school. It just go right straight down. It dead ends right into the woods. Okay. It's, it'll be on the east side of uh, Chickasaw, Suburban. Um, east side of Chickasaw. And what is your um, party's name that we're going to meet with? Uh, his name is Roy, R-O-Y, Kronk, K-R-O-N-K. He's not touching this, I hope. No, I... K-R-O-N-K. And he's a... Um, he's a meter reader. Meter reader? Yeah, and I'll just tell him to stay at that location and just stay away from everything. Okay. Um, and if you can, try to stress to him to please not draw attention to the area. Okay. And that would be great, just in case it is something. It may be nothing, but just in True. case. Yes. Um, and you're from what... Department? Uh, utilities, customer service. Utilities. And, and if you need any uh, information, my phone number is 407-254-9751. 9751? Yes. Okay, Rusty, I'm going to go ahead and, and send a call up for a deputy to meet with him. Okay. And we'll see you there very shortly. What type of vehicle is he going to be in? Uh, probably a uh, Colorado, a uh, small Colorado, white. It'll white? Have Orange County. It'll have Orange County insignia on it. Okay. White, um... Colorado truck, yes, and um, with Orange County markings. Yes, Orange yes. County markings. Okay, we'll yes. see you there very shortly. Okay, All right. thank you. Mm, bye bye. The next day, detectives arrive on the scene with the search warrant and inspect the house and surrounding area. In a statement from an ABC News article on the same day. Police spokesman Carlos Padilla says that they are quote somewhat confident that the remains found by Kronk are those of Kaylee Anthony. Casey's defense team is also denied access to search the area themselves. And on December 19th, DNA testing of the remains come back with the match. Kaylee Anthony is officially dead. Two thousand nine wasn't nearly as eventful for Casey Anthony as two thousand eight was. Regardless, the prosecution moves forward full steam ahead, and the situation takes its toll on the Anthony family. On january twenty third, George Anthony is found in a hotel room despondent and under the influence, and upon further investigation into the matter, a five page suicide note authored by him is found. On april thirteenth, Prosecutors announced that they will be seeking the death penalty for Casey, and on December 19th, Judge Stan Strickland denies Casey's motion to remove the death penalty from the table. 2010 was a publicity year for the Anthonys. In addition, some major changes are made to the case during this time. On April 19th, Judge Stan Strickland steps down from the case after reacting to a blogger's post about the case saying, quote, at its core, defense counsel's motion accuses Strickland of being a self-aggrandizing media hound. Indeed, the irony is rich. Motion granted. On June 15th, George Anthony participates in an exclusive interview with Good Morning America, saying, quote, I'm not thinking about the trial. I'm just trying to live day to day. It's been two years since we've seen Kaylee, so it seems like this nightmare has lasted longer than the moments we actually had with her. 
that makes it very, very difficult. A month later, on July 15th, the two-year anniversary of Kaylee being reported missing, the Anthony family appears in court for an evidentiary hearing. In this hearing, Cindy Anthony testified and recounted the emotional night that she found out Kaylee had been missing for a month. As a result of the hearing, the judge ruled that Cindy's first 911 call may be used in the trial. And on August 14, 2010, George and Cindy Anthony appear on the Today Show to discuss their feelings heading into the trial. As far as my granddaughter and not being able to hold her anymore and talk to her, walk her to school, I miss that. I, I want that so deeply. I want my daughter home. That would be great to have my daughter home. But then again, we need to see this through. And, and I, I have said this many, many times. And I think Cindy will tell you also, we've always said we always wanted to find out what happened to Kaylee, no matter where the road or the path takes us. So does that mean you have considered the possibility that your daughter killed Kaylee, that Casey killed Kaylee? I don't, I don't want to believe that my daughter would hurt her daughter. But now, the time for pointing fingers and deflecting blame is over. Casey Anthony will go on trial and face 12 jurors who will decide whether or not she will spend the rest of her life in prison. And with viewers around the world watching intently, everybody will have to be on their A-game. That's on the next episode of Casey. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. From F1 Media. This was part two of four of the story of how Casey Anthony became the most hated woman in America. A note about the information you heard in this episode it was all based on our best research. And if you would like to learn more about this story, we recommend Casey Anthony, an American murder mystery from Investigation Discovery. You can listen and subscribe to Casey at F01.media or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. For updates, follow F01 Media on Twitter and Facebook. All you have to do is search F01 Media. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. It's the best way to help other listeners find this series. Thank you for streaming. This episode was edited and executive produced by me, Brad Ash. Written and researched by myself and Carmen Morales for FO1 Media. FO1.